Good morning, everybody. It's Monday, November 8th, 2021. I apologize for the poor audio quality in advance this morning. I'm traveling, working off of a, of a laptop. I missed my big multi-screen monitor at my desk in San Diego. Uh, this is today's uh, weekly economic and market commentary from Efficient Market Advisors. As a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at ETF underscore strategist.com or on LinkedIn at Herb Morgan. This is, of course, also available as a podcast on all of the traditional podcast formats. The name of the podcast is Slaying Bulls and Bears with Herb Morgan. The presentation you are seeing and or hearing is designed for use with both investors and financial advisors, but each are expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. Everything is purely for informational purposes. We had a bang up week in equity markets last week, and that's not a misprint. Mid cap 400 index was a 4%, small cap of 6.5%. We're really through the S&P 500 earnings season, um, and it was much better than expected. Great week last week. Year-to-date numbers are great. But now we're getting more mid and small cap names, and I expect that to continue for the next two weeks. Uh, and now the markets, the markets are focusing on those beats, and that's what's been driving uh, the 400 and 600 returns uh, to pretty unbelievable levels, not to mention, of course, uh, Fed liquidity, policy stimulus helping to prop up uh, asset prices as well. But what was interesting last week is we got much better than expected jobs reports. We got the Federal Reserve coming out and telling us they will begin the taper. We've now got rate hikes on the horizon. But even with rate hikes on the horizon, um, the bond market rallied. And it rallied pretty significantly. The Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, the old Lehman Index, is up um, almost two-thirds of a percent last week. Let's get into uh, economic data, starting with construction spending for September, down about a half a percent. But still, big, big year-over-year gains up nearly 8%, nearly 8% on a year-over-year basis. Uh, demand on the residential side continues to outstrip supply, so no reason to expect that construction spending won't um, continue. We've got the final market uh, manufacturing and services reading along with the, the ISM manufacturing and services readings for the month of October, starting with manufacturing on the ISM side. Uh, Came in at 60.8, a little above expectations, tiny bit below the prior month, well above the 50 line delineating between expansion and contraction. So a pretty solid report. Also, it was good to see that employment rose from 50 spot two to 52 even. So hiring picking up a little bit on the manufacturing side. The Marquette report also showed a decline, but here it was actually a miss, 58.4 which is still a good number, right? Anything above 50 is growth. Um, it's a question of this pace of the growth. It's slowing down a little bit on the manufacturing side, but it's the service sector that's lagged in getting back to work and reopened, particularly in the United States. And um, the services sector, you'll see in a minute, came in much better. I forgot I had put in the auto sales slide here. Uh, they rose, but they're still at a very anemic rate, about 13 million annualized. Auto sales are not down because of a recession or a lack of demand. They're down because of an inability uh, to manufacture enough vehicles and get them on the car lots. 
That's shortage of many items, including and probably most notable, the, the shortage of computer chips, which you've all heard about. Uh, but this in no way reflects the current level of demand uh, in the economy for automobiles. It, the only good news from this report was that it was a pickup from um, the prior month. Here we are now on the services side of the non-manufacturing and that I had to double check that graph to make sure it was right and increase the height of the graph on my Excel file. Um, it's an all time high in the services sector growth rate on a month over month basis. Uh, the estimate was a very high 62. It came at 66.7. Business activity almost touched, um, almost touched 70, as did new orders. Those are both all time highs. Deliveries rose, that was good-ish. Backlogs rose again to an all-time high of 67.3. That's gonna put more pressure on the supply chain, more upward pressure on prices. And this, um, there's obviously more people employed, but the rate of growth dropped to 51.6. So that was a bit disappointing. Sister reading from our kit, a lot of the same uh, overall themes. Uh, it rose 58.7, beat the estimate of 58.2. So the service sector is getting well on its way with at this point, no indication of even a possibility of another shutdown or slowdown because of a maybe a surge in COVID cases or something like that. Factory orders uh, bested the estimate there, estimated a tenth of a percent, doubled that. Um, transportation orders were a little weak. Those are bigger ticket items, so that was uh, held things down a little bit, uh, but backing out the uh, transportation things were pretty good. We just, if, if we're gonna get all times, we're gonna get all times, and um, the trade deficit hit an all time high. And you know, this is mixed news, right? It's, it's good because it signals demand is very strong. We have you know, wages going up, people have money to spend. The US is having trouble getting parts and pieces, and so we're buying a lot of things overseas. We always buy a lot of things from overseas. That's because we're a you know, market-oriented economy. But uh, trade deficits are a subtraction from GDP. So the US is sort of opening up faster and more efficiently. It's worse in other countries, with as bad as it is here. So our exports, falling imports, rising, uh, that's a recipe for a widened trade deficit, which again is a subtraction of GDP. But bigger news last week were the jobs reports and of course the Fed meeting. We'll get to those here in both of those in just a second. Regular weekly claims for unemployment fell to 270,000. Uh, as you know, number is really better than it looks because we have a disproportionate number of the uh, claims coming just from California because of some enhanced um, jobless benefits that they're offering. Pro uh, productivity down because labor costs are up. Not that the existing labor uh, is less productive, it's just that labor costs are getting higher and higher. We were worried that they were gonna impact earnings reports this past quarter. It does not seem to be the case. Seems they are able to pass through those costs. So higher labor um, costs means higher incomes, means more disposable income. That's pretty good uh, overall recipe there. Then we got the two reports. First one always comes uh, earlier in the week. That's from ADP. Their statistical methodology estimates that we increase payrolls by 571,000. The vast majority, 458, in service jobs, leisure and hospitality. Uh, manufacturing jobs, they think lost 113. Uh, and the September gain was revised down ever so slightly to a still pretty good number, 523,000. 
The big dog of the employment reports, which is the, um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the government report, they said we think we added 531,000, but a big revision up in the September from 194 to 312. So that's really like adding more than 600,000. But making it better still, if you back away the non-private sector, i.e. government payrolls, which actually shrank, the private sector added 604,000, and that is fantastic. Unemployment rate dropped from 4.8 to 4.6. We think we're headed towards four in the next, say, six or eight months. Um, and in the Fed, in, in, the, in Powell's testimony, I think he's confused. I think, honestly, a lot of people are perplexed. How can we have this many job openings? And how can you continue to say we need to have growth in the labor market when, in his argument, is, well, there's fewer total people employed than there was. Now more people are just indicating they're not in the labor force. This thing called the participation rate is very stubborn. And, the, and we're, folks are trying to get the participation rate up. Uh, and they're hopeful that some of the enhanced benefits of not working, which have now run out, will encourage greater participation in that labor force. The other thing that might encourage greater participation is the fact that wages are going higher. Average hourly earnings rose four tenths of a percent uh, and are up almost 5% uh, year over year. That's a real, on a real basis. So the other big news, Federal Open Market Committee met, as I told you last week, we thought they would uh, elect to begin on a monthly basis to go from 120 billion a month of asset purchases, 80 billion in US treasuries, 40 billion in mortgage backs. They're gonna go from 120 to 105 in the month of November. And they will probably do that with either each subsequent month or each subsequent meeting. They do not exactly meet monthly. And that'll put them down just about zero by July. And at that time, they and if sooner, sooner if needed, I personally do think it is needed. I think we're, we're at risk of a policy mistake here on some of this inflation stuff, but I do think um, they will start to raise rates here um, probably by July or August. Um, but they were very clear, Chairman Powell was very clear, he may expand that pace, he may reduce that pace, may eliminate that pace, because they have this dual mandate of price stability and full employment. Right now, the inflation numbers are looking less and less transitory and therefore, under the law given to them by Congress, the Fed would be required to act. And I think you're going to see this week, especially after we get some data this week, um, you're going to see more and more sort of media and political pressure put on the Fed uh, to do this because of the, the pricing issue is starting to be uh, uh, significant. I noticed also that Powell did acknowledge this. He acknowledged Things hadn't uh, unfolded exactly as he anticipated. Uh, and, and the other thing is, I think all over Wall Street, everybody I talked to in some internal meetings that we've had, people did notice that he seemed very uneasy, less confident. Uh, the body language was poor. The eye contact was poor. Um, <clears throat> and we're wondering if that's just sort of an internal realization of the fact that there it has been a policy mistake. It's not <clears throat> beyond repair. We don't believe hyperinflation or any of those things are happening, uh, but they do need to act and act quickly to maintain price stability per their job given to them by Congress. Wrapping it up this week, we're just about done with earnings season. As I mentioned, we've got a few more names to go. Um, average earnings surprise, almost 10%. Uh, 
you know, huge, 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 huge number of beats on a percentage basis. Guidance higher across the board. All looks good. And we still have more names in the small and mid-cap space, as I mentioned at the beginning. Expect to see those coming out here um, real soon. So this PPI number tomorrow the, um, will be pretty important, as will the CPI number on Wednesday. And I think shaping that activity by our way of looking at things, I, I think we probably haven't fully peaked on the inflation. You know, the year over year number could be as high as six plus percent um, on Wednesday on the CPI. Um, and we will probably peak here soon and then starts to go down, but it's going to take some time to get it down to that 2% objective. Um, and then of course, Friday with the JOLTS report and uh, consumer sentiment. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Don't forget to download the podcast. Give us a like and a thumbs up, and uh, we'll get back to you again next week.